0: and you're listening to Scene is Forgetting, conversations on contemporary art and culture in Los Angeles and beyond. Today's guest is Aaron Moulton. He's a curator at Gagosian Gallery here in Los Angeles. I was looking for the best way to describe who Aaron is outside of sort of the obvious, uh, what he curates or where he's worked. I think he's most aptly described as the most charismatic person in the room at any given time. You can look up to find him talking to a group of people and telling a funny story and everybody's laughing, or he's giving somebody his undivided attention and going in depth about some intense issue that you, you, you can only sort of surmise from a distance. So in this podcast, I let Aaron do most of the talking because it's a pleasure to hear him sort of wax poetic about things he's truly passionate about. And there are many things in this interview that he really, really feels strongly about. You get the, you get the sense that you know where he's coming from. The reason this works too, and that he, he is the most charismatic guy in the room. Most of the time is because it comes from a very genuine place. He listens and he pays attention to what you're saying. And then gives back that same amount of energy. So, here's Aaron. And we're good to go. Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. Yeah. Um, I thought we could start out actually talking about uh, the Utah Museum of Contemporary Art where yeah. you were, what was your title? I was senior curator. And how long were you there?
1: Uh, two years.
0: And that came after you ran your gallery space in Berlin.
1: That's correct. Yeah, I had a gallery called Fine Cost uh, for four years. And then, yeah, I, I got a curating job.
0: How was the transition from owning a gallery going into institutional?
1: Uh, You know, it's it, I think it's, there's a lot of obvious details, a lot less kind of bullshit on one end and a lot more bullshit on another end or something, you know, in terms of administration and uh, uh, the way in which you do what you do. Um, I uh, suddenly was just able to focus completely on what I wanted to be really doing. As much as I liked the idea of cultivating artists, and I do see myself as a strong advocate for the people I work with and for, um, it was great to just be going out there and, uh, and you know, just, just trying to push that line of, uh, of, uh, where, where's contemporary art going and helping, uh, nurture that dialogue. Um,
0: so when you actually came out of the gallery though, how long were you, how long did you guys, it was usually your wife, correct? Yeah. yeah. How long did you run the space?
1: Uh, four years. We had four years of programming. That's quite a while. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and were you switching it out every month or what did you do?
1: What, uh, shows? Yeah. Yeah. We did like six shows, seven shows a year. I kind of tried to like slow slow down a bit. I wanted eight week shows rather than these. It was like happening that galleries were doing four week shows in Berlin, and I was just like, dude, this is like some painful ADD in front of us. Uh, for
0: for were you doing that for the viewer? or Were you doing it for the gallery? Like for your for the art for the art, right?
1: You know, uh, I thought that the the show, I mean, a show if it's up for more than eight weeks it starts to get dusty and 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 you know deteriorate in ways just on a basic practical physical logistical level that you know you start to need a reason to keep a show open for three months uh so eight weeks i think is a good enough time that gives everyone a chance to see it and i had my gallery open on sundays as well and from uh, like uh, hours that were like gallerist friendly hours like 11 to 7
0: rather than 10 to 6
1: five days a week five days a week
0: wednesday through sunday so when you went into the museum, were you actually looking for a tr- transition into an institution, or were you looking at all opportunities?
1: Uh, well, you know, I had to make a choice. I was out of money. I had spent my entire life savings well, that on, does it on uh, on on this this project, uh, the gallery, and I um, basically wanted to know if I was going to be able to uh, be a curator and, uh, and I thought I was doing that quite well but you know independently and so would would I uh, get kind of validated by an institution and so it was uh it was a summer of uh applying I applied for 30 plus jobs got second interviews on 3 of them and chose the weirdest one uh <laughs> yeah.
0: you were able to sort of experiment out there too and do shows that were interesting we a bit before we started we were talking about how Utah sort of influence where you're at now, especially with work in, in curating and talking about Mormonism and having it be a revealed religion um, as in a doctrine transmitted directly uh, from the founder, Joseph Smith, from the ear of God and how that sort of dictates where you're going and thinking about these, these pieces. You, you actually even curated a group of, uh, what was it? A splinter group from Mormonism? in Uh, one of your shows yeah is that a right correct way to put it yeah
1: yeah yeah i mean uh you know i didn't know anything about mormonism when i moved to salt lake city and uh and it was um first of all what was really clear to me is that salt lake city utah was one of the most um specific or idiosyncratic versions of american culture i could have ever imagined having not lived in the states for 10 years and i think people have this especially foreigners this hang up that the uh um that the American cultural spectrum is like New York and L.A. and there's kind of nothing in between. But if we really want to look at what the American cultural condition is capable of in terms of creating a metropolis and specificity of culture, it's the real ends of that spectrum are Vegas and Salt Lake City, and uh, uh, you know a, a, a city constructed on vice and one constructed on religion, and oddly both founded by Mormons. And um, and so for me going to Utah became this incredible opportunity to see how, how relevant can contemporary art, international contemporary art, be in such a regional place, in such a sensitive regional place.
0: And that was a consideration when you took the job. That was one of the reasons you chose that.
1: I mean, I didn't go into it thinking this is going to be an awesome challenge. or I mean, yes, of course, I thought this is going to be awesome research. This is going to be an awesome chance to, to figure out how, to, uh, how, how uh, uh, cultural patois works you know, uh, how am I going to, um, rationalize, um, decisions, uh, locally that are going to make this institution shine internationally and not alienate my public and actually kind of, uh, somehow make them feel like, uh, I'm making stories with contemporary art that are actually coming directly from them versus, you know, imports from LA, which was what they were dealing with, with the curator before me, or, uh, imports from New York. I mean, that's the basic problem that most institutions, regional ones, have is that they're, uh, um, they're, uh, they're provincial, uh, they're pr- to the point of being irrelevant. Um, or they're, they're, um, sim- like s- just bad simulations, uh, in like de- on huge delays of, they're like many
0: s- versions of the two large cities on either coast,
1: you know, it's bad sort of, uh, coattailing. And so, uh, I thought there was a way to kind of weirdly uh, intersect both of those problems and make them into a solution. And uh, and uh, uh, and so coming from Berlin, I'm like, well, I'm going to show everything from Berlin, not New York or LA. And that'll already kind of be super like random. But uh, I tried to like really create topics that people could identify with. I think that the biggest problem that our business has is it's like holding on tight to art history as a methodology and a, um, and a philosophy. And it's a completely obsolete.
0: When you say business, you mean the art world in general?
1: Yeah, the art world. I mean, the art history is like weirdly this kind of academic, you know, um, symbolic uh, intellectual content for the market um, that n- I think that no one's considering that well because people are so f- deeply involved in the art historical methodology that they're involved in as PhD students or, or Museum Modern Art curators or it's whatever. It's very singular. Yeah and it's like completely a um an an irrelevant um uh narrative actually. I mean I think like today's public has no interest in having read that book or knowing those references. It's a big expectation of a general public to have anybody on that same level of 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 kind of advanced literacy within that specific vernacular. And uh and so what I do is I try to like uh enable and empower uh visual literacy within the individual on uh, attacking to or dealing with topics that you know contemporary art maybe doesn't even know what it's dealing with, you know, or that are just sort of things in the energy of the kind of respective culture. Uh, well, this is what you
0: brought into Utah and it's also what you're doing today. Yeah. 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 Do you feel like you get to explore that with your current job? You work for Gagosian. Yeah. And you curate shows in, in one of the many galleries they have, one of the 16 I believe mm-hmm. now.
1: i I mean, I've, I've done shows at, um, five of the different galleries, uh, and yeah, I feel that weirdly for what could have seemed like something that would have been more restrictive than what was already weirdly potentially restrictive like Utah, uh, you know, going into now kind of a private corporate atmosphere, um, might've seemed more restrictive. Um, but actually it's an incredible thing what they do there. And, uh, and the, the, in terms of what it's done for my research, you know, I feel like I've, I've been able to introduce, uh, aspects to the program there that certainly weren't there to begin with. And, uh, and that i think are are pretty pretty far out you know in terms of
0: well clear is a good example of that
1: yeah that was uh that was in 2014 that was my first show at the gallery and uh you know i uh i came from uh from utah where the kind of politics and aesthetics and bureaucracy of spirituality were were so on the forefront of the way i was thinking about how culture's produced and 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 yet it's you know utah's got an incredible amount of secrets and esoteric cultures within it because um because it's so weirdly fractured and you know repressive and stuff. So, um but I thought I'm going to LA, everyone's pretty self-aware and there's not going to be too many secrets that are going to be easy to find, but uh but I thought I wanted to try to make an exhibition that would uh kind of solve a couple of problems for me and uh one of which was I always thought it would be an amazing thing to make an exhibition about Scientology. Um and I um uh, before coming to, to Utah, before Clear was even an idea, it was just something or before coming to LA rather, uh and before Clear was even on the agenda, it was something I was super interested in as to how this uh this religion, which is uh very much a religion of the creative class, uh has no kind of contemporary artists that it's uh, boasting. Uh while it boasts, you know, people in Hollywood and writers and musicians, et cetera. Um so I, I did a lot of research trying to find artists who in fact were scientologists to see if there was a specific kind of cultural narrative coming out of that um and then uh and that was like the start of the idea for me but then of course i'm not going to go and try to just straight up do a scientology show um and, and so I, I thought it would be an interesting thing to try to uh you know la hollywood it's into uh spider-man reboots so uh the thought was to take this this beloved art historical movement that's here in LA and gets weirdly rebooted every summer with the same people and the same idea is the California Light and Space Movement, and I thought it would be an interesting thing to try to reboot that and reimagine that um, as the aesthetics of the out-of-body experience, and so that was the kind of initial starting point for CLEAR is to kind of take the ideas, what I thought were the extremes of James Trail's research and uh, in disconnecting mind-body kind of relations and creating astral plane aesthetic experiences uh, and which then becomes the back door for the general public because you know to make a show about astral projection, it's like yeah, totally everyone, even if you're an atheist, you kind of think about yourself as energy, I'm sure and uh, uh, and that became an obvious entry for the general public um, um, and then but
0: it wasn't so outright. The entire time either. I remember when you were explaining this to me, like, Ooh, also I'd like to say too, like each time you curate a show, I remember you explaining the show to me, but when it was just sort of a a concept for you and you, you had this packet put together Mm -hmm. and you pulled out the packet and you were like, don't tell anybody this this is what I'm doing and this is where it's at. But you're (laughs) this joy and sort of excitement for like each one of the projects that you sort of put together. Every time I talk to you and you're doing a new project, you have this sort of love and affinity for each one of those things. It's just, it's nice to see somebody so involved in actually putting together and paying attention to like how they're approaching each one of those concepts. And like what you were talking about earlier too, watching out for the artists. Yeah. I I feel like there's such an agenda sometimes with some individuals who curate that really they're looking for the next job. Mm-hmm. Or they're mm-hmm. putting stuff on the resume to figure out where they're going to be and how they curate the actual shows to be put together. And I, that is the furthest thing from my mind whenever I see one of your shows.
1: Well, you know, I, um, I certainly uh, there's a there's a there's a there's a funny balance uh, in any kind of collaboration when especially when an artist is you know I can't do my job without having artists on board, and uh, and I think a lot of curators um, have a problem of, uh, of, you know, maybe like, uh, getting people, uh, you know, and so the, pr- the problem is, uh, when you, when you make uh, a group exhibition, I think there's this issue of, of what, what is it, what's it for, what's the purpose of it? And I think a lot of times group exhibitions don't have that. They're like kind of, you know, they're, they're sort of collective views of, you know, or like, uh, I'm not going to explain this well here, but, um, the problem ultimately is to wh- how do you how do you put all these works together and not subjugate them into your uh idea you know how do you keep their their your int-
0: preconceived idea of what the show is going to be and how how that fits your agenda
1: yeah you know it's like bringing bringing these things into this dialogue maybe there weren't maybe there are no artists who are thinking about astral projection when i put them in the show clear but suddenly their work makes a ton of sense in that respect and it's you know it's i, I frame it for them and i think that they see you know, I think this is the comes back to a, a sort of a general issue that isn't often discussed, which is uh, different types of value that we have for for artworks, and we think often of just commercial value, market value. But I I look at use value, which sounds really again contradictory to, to this idea of subjugation, but I think use value is a very important thing uh, when thinking about it in relationship to culture. It's is it how. Uh, useful is this for us thinking about you know cult aspects of issues within culture and and how and how many faces can this artwork have in terms of you know its applicability versatility within different
0: dialogues? Well, honestly, artists don't themselves understand all of the use value for their works when they're making it. I I, I don't believe sure. That. I sure. think that one of those things is if, if if a curator can put it into context that ne- the artist doesn't necessarily originally intend they can learn from that experience of working with the curator Mm, and not simply mm. providing the work for the curator.
1: Totally. Totally.
0: A a good example of this. I think I, I wanted to talk about a little bit about Jason Metcalf. Mm, mm. I think he's a fantastic artist. I went to mountain school with him, but I, you work with Jason often and you're friends with him, but what it is, what is it in Jason's work that you see is, is being sort of a push what, what's a trigger for you?
1: Oh fuck. I mean, geez, you know, Jason, uh, who's known as Lazarus now is, uh, uh, essentially, you know, there's, there's a few people I've met in my life where I'm like, shit, if I was an artist, that's exactly what I would be making. Uh, I don't think I could exactly say that about Jason because he's coming from such a specific place, having been a Mormon and you know, the, the really taking it to these kind of extreme researches within sort of spiritual specificity, spiritual, um, infrastructures, and, uh, and, and and kind of but i but I have a, a general affinity for how he puts a story together uh, and the and the politics of belief that go into that and uh, and so um, and I and both of us i mean i'm a, a massive proponent in the belief that folklore uh, as we go into a kind of a weird omniscient uh, culture um, folk you know where we're actually you know i think we've, we have the closest access to this weird idea known as the truth than we've ever had as a culture. And I've never seen probably anyone in a, in such a skep more skeptical like, existential state as our cur- current civilization is, you know, so it's, I think folklore will come to represent actually a weird, um, path that we can depend on for interesting information and stories where, you know, uh, I think
0: you like, mean to pass along information for future generations.
1: Yeah, storytelling, uh, truth, uh, in, a, in a kind of a weird, abstract, irrational sense. You know, it's um, I'm I'm gonna not sum this up well, but like I think uh, I think fo- folk, folkloric strategies and folkloric structures and folklore in general, as in terms of what it offers as a communication of culture, um, is uh, having a lot more weight, or will have, continue to have more weight, and and how it. Um, uh, create sustainable cultural narratives. I mean, in talking about J- like Jason's work and like what what that kind of how that kind of comes back for me uh, in terms of what I'm I'm doing. I've had this kind of intense interest that I'm only re- like, and I'm not an academic. You know, what I do is my work, as I see it, is all creating case studies. Um, I, I try to be a real activist within uh, you know testing things within culture ideas and uh and sort of visual cultural phenomena and uh and so a lot of what i'm um, doing lately of the last couple of years has been about a uh, participatory anthrop- anthropology which is a kind of a, a method of anthropology that's more um uh subjectively in tune to the you know the engagement and simulation and uh of of, of cultural rituals and cultural sort of situations and uh and and I can kind of explain that more specifically, but it's Jason and I, I think are both doing the same thing, him on a micro, uh, artistic level and me on a macro kind of larger cultural level. And so his
0: is sort of insular too. He's dealing with Mormonism and, and branching out from that and sort of experimenting from that as being a ground point of a starting place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I think we're, we're both dealing with aura, you know, and energy and like trying to think about how to influence and, uh, and, um, and, uh, and and creates sort of crucible situations of, of energy for how cultural sort of phenomena are taking place. And again, I'm being really abstract. I know it sounds kind of fruity, but, uh, but I believe it. And, uh, and I'm actually positive it's true. <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, 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 you know, I think like uh, there's a real chance right now um, to, to, to tap into these things that were the reasons we all got into art for the, in the first place, which is, you know, for like magic and like weird kind of esoteric uh, uh, energy situations that uh, aren't really easy to explain and, uh, and aren't, you know, about playing a game.
0: Well, so this leads us into this new exhibition that you're, you're doing right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to pronounce it correctly.
1: Omul Negro. There you go. Omul Negru. Which
0: translates into...
1: Uh, The man in black or the black man, and it's Romanian for the boogeyman.
0: So so that is a... What made you go there? I mean, obviously everything that you just spoke about.
1: I had a uh, a very special experience last September in Bulgaria, and uh, I did an exhibition there called Americana Esoterica, and it was a show that... uh, I've had a very very few kind of extreme carte blanche situations in my career and they've always led to, you know, some some pretty amazingly unpredictable uh, results. And uh, and this is by far was the most. And uh, and it led me to really believe that I needed to kind of um, split my practice in two somehow to you know, I have this day job as a, as an objective anthropologist. Uh, well, I'm a curator for Gagosian. I'm a curator. I've never, I, just... I like the
0: objective anthropologist better. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> I've
1: never studied anthropology and I'm just wearing a hat essentially, but you know, I, I think, uh, I'm using anthropological method in a pretty, uh, pretty, pretty productive way for contemporary art. And, uh, and it's actually giving, I, you know, one can ask what are the results? I mean. You know, I, I, am not, I'm going to not talk about them now, but what I, what I. What do you mean? The
0: results out of what you curate or what you do? Yeah.
1: I mean, you know, one would ask what are your, what are you, what's your purpose or what are you, what's the research, what are the case studies for, you know?
0: Well, but it's like one of those things. You put all these things together to find out five years down the road what it's all for, at least for me. Like I, I have no clue. I'm working in the studio and you know, we find out later after, after these things are done that they relate to you in this way that is so much deeper and more reticent than than what you could ever imagine. And half of the time, it's like what we were speaking about before. It doesn't happen until you have somebody else from the outside say, Hey, this sort of looks like that, or it fits into this, this sort of narrative. And you're like, Oh shit, of course it does. Like I didn't even see that. And this leads me into the reason I did it.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. I mean, I think within every exhibition, there's five exhibitions that kind of can pop out of it. Um, And
0: so talk a bit about your experience and why that was so sort of influential on you. Well,
1: you know, I I think we, we, uh, uh, I don't know how to sum up the experience in Bulgaria. How long were you there? I was there for a week. We made an exhibition. It was uh, funded by the American embassy. It was called Americana Esoterica. It was going to be a grouping of artists from California or based in California whose practices, um, touch on things like uh, ritual magic, fringe science, superstition, um, you and we, Lazarus,
0: we, we uh, a friend of mine, uh, Chris Wiley and I mm. saw you immediately after you came back with Lazarus. Oh, yeah. And you guys were like. It happened. Jazz. you, you were like, It was, you were like really on, like you were level nine, man. Dude, I mean, Jason,
1: uh, Lazarus had uh, the most like incredible validation of all of us. I mean, I did too, I feel. In what way? Like the, you know, the first, you know, I'm, I'm making a show called American Esoterica, which is first and foremost seeming like an import export job of american art in a foreign country uh which is a, already a funny what
0: was the location where was it at there
1: Plovdiv Bulgaria so it was in uh within the context of a large city arts festival and we were the the main headline event and uh and so it was uh without you know with uh within a couple of specific locations in the city and then it also had some secret uh unannounced locations that people found or they didn't and uh and you know it's a special place there basically the the bureaucracy around lifting a finger in america is like asking somebody to ask somebody Whereas there you can run around with a chainsaw and nobody's going to say anything because you're just sort of, it's just <laughs> like that, you know? So we were able to just intervene, if you will, in public space and, and really. In uh, an art,
0: in an art way, intervene or in like a, just a social, like dude, life. You
1: could have called it vandalism, anarchy. You know, it was, uh, it was, I don't know, you know, at the, the, there's this line, of course, that where we are rationalizing things as art. But I, I think like the, the, the interesting thing that came out of this is the things somehow stopped being art in some interesting way that like made people respond to them differently. Like the Bulgarian public came out of the woodwork, confessing superstitious stuff to Jason. Like the,
0: what did he show in the show? What was in the exhibition?
1: Well, the aim of the exhibition was to be a, uh, uh like the, the, I, I thought of it more like, a uh, a, a, a Hollywood movie. Um, so like these, uh, artists were like superheroes Uh, Sterling Ruby was the alchemist. No, sorry. Jen West was the alchemist. Sterling Ruby was the shaman. Jason Metcalf was the witch doctor. Max Hooper Schneider was the mad scientist.
0: Did you have this written down or not?
1: Yeah. And Mike Boucher was the, the mystic merchant.
0: Did they know this when they went into the show?
1: No, no. no. I made a press release that was like a weird, um, paranoid, prophetic screed about, um, the oncoming, uh, wave of nuclear mediocrity that was going to annihilate us all. And that this, (laughs) this exhibition would, uh, be an antidote it would be a displaced spiritual awakening in a place uh that was known for you know esoteric and kind of darker magic and uh and basically the idea would be that these these practices get together and they create a force field or something right <laughs> and uh and of course uh i don't know did that work i did we get hit by a comet no uh,
0: but you said jason people were coming up to jason talking to him so i asked like what he showed in the show i want to know why he was an uh, uh a source for an outlet like
1: yeah no i think it was because his practice already has this strange uh uncanny of, of form you know not that different from your own actually you the thinking of the way in which you're creating these forms without reference that are having a kind of a tough you know relationship to language and uh and his forms were actually coming specifically from uh histories of lost histories of superstition and uh and they were, for the most part, he was dealing with creating forms that were going to bring uh, to ward off evil and and bring good luck. And but we're not talking about you know your basic black cat or horseshoe. They're they're really like weird, and uh, and so people see these things and actually they don't have to even think whether those things are art. They look like something quite real and quite it, it charged.
0: Looks, it looks practical, like but, in a sense like this is something you've had in your home, and it's particularly like in in a rural community or in, I'm from Iowa. So like you see things like this and it's not out of the norm to have something like that be in a home or in a barn or.
1: well, they're, they're side products, they're side, they're, they're, they're byproducts of irrational thinking, um, which, you know, we're, we're so streamlined and optimized in how we kind of approach the aesthetics of our everyday and the, the kind of processes we're engaged in that to find an object that's like, uh, a, a a whole kind of garlic, bulb, uh, you know, poked with needles and and wrapped with a virgin's hair and, you know, strung up on a yarn and, you know, with like 13 knots in it, you know, nobody sees these uh, immediately as as something they can relate to. But what you do see is something that's clearly fetishistic um, and ritualistic. And, uh, and so, you know, you, you, you,
0: but it has a context. Basically, you recognize that it is, it has a purpose.
1: No, this is the point of the, the, you way, don't think? the work that we were doing, you know, had zero communication with the public. You know, we were just inserting these things in the environment and people were finding them and seeing them. It wasn't in a safe gallery. You know, that's the problem with art is like it's, out, it's in this safe space that people go in there with a preconceived you know, notion of what they're going to see. Regardless of whether they know what, what it is and what it means, you know, they at least know that they're going to see art. When that stuff leaves and it's like there in a, as a disruptive uh, element within the everyday environment, an out-of-place artifact or whatever, uh, the effect is very different. You know, it's we're talking about placebo kind of energy. Well, and,
0: I, I feel, though, when you see something like that, it has a particular intent, right? Like somebody has spent time working on this thing and put something into that, but it's not necessarily art. So, like, if you're seeing, like, one of his objects laying around or, or this thing wrapped and it, it's taken time to put this together— there's an intent, and there's a perceived intent that is actually existing in that item or that object that's sitting in the room. So at least that is recognizable.
1: I think so. Yeah. I, I, I guess um, what I'm more interested in is like how you know uh, how e- how how sticky these objects are for picking up the the energy that they are meant to be emitting. You know, it's like I think people get uh, from them exactly what they're meant to. You know, and it, and it's not like a relationship to sculpture. No, absolutely not. It's, it's, a, uh, it's, it's something more. It's, it's very different. You know, it's an energy. Um, and again, I'm, I'm maybe projecting on my own uh, 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 idealism of what these these things are capable of, but uh, I do think that's true. And that's what happened there in Bulgaria is you had people, I think, coming up and really not talking about whether it was art anymore, but just believing in esoteric, uh, esoterica uh, as, a, as something they could have. You know, people are actually really relaxed are really excited and happy to 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 know that they can be irrational. That's the problem with the general culture today: is that we are so logical, uh, you know, uh, that we we are are actually inhibiting major, you know, the best parts of what it means to be human, which is uh, to be irrational. You you end up having like these great belief systems and things that allow fantasy to to roam. That once we kind of ground it in the the extreme, you know, and quite oppressive repressive logics of of where I think we're at now, I don't, because like, for example, you can't talk about God. I mean, I'm not even religious, but you know, I know I can't talk about God around uh, people in the art world. It's like, um, I'd be like, uh, seen as retarded or something. Uh, and that's, that's not to make fun of anyone that's religious. It's just the art world is, is not that avant-garde in its thinking. It's like hyper repressed actually. And uh, uh, you know, we don't have the right wing we're remotely represented in the art world, like zero. And,
0: Except for the people who are buying the. The art.
1: Oh, that's hilarious. I mean, that's, that's like the, right? uh, the funny irony of it. Um, but, you know, in terms of what cultural production is about, it's like this tiny wedge. Um, so like when you have, um, but I, I'm digressing again. Well, the
0: thing that gets me on that particular, it always irks me that we feign uh, frustration and hurt on, on certain issues, but we're more than happy to sell our artwork and take the money from individuals who have the beliefs that we are, are so firmly against.
1: Oh, dude, are you kidding? Like if I go back into the nonprofit sector, the first people I'm calling is Monsanto. I mean, absolutely, really? yeah, 100%. I would like buddy up with them in a heartbeat and they would give money and 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 all the people that like would make a fuss out of it, well, sorry, we won't work together, you know, but whatever, you know, it's like, there's there's plenty of people out there. I, I've
0: come to that realization recently about the the fuss about things, like the individuals that have an issue with the way that I deal with things are the people I don't want to work with anyway. Yeah. Because they're not going to, we're not going to be on the same level even if we do get together.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, but you know, there's this business has got so much weird, you know, hypocrisy and, you know, but then sort of, I don't know anything really, I guess,
0: but yeah, we, we were left at the, uh, the show and you guys coming back out of that with so oh, much energy. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I'm not explaining it well, and I never do. Um, but I, I think I had, uh, I, I, I certainly experienced something quite profound. It changed my life in terms of thinking about how to uh, hone in on these energies and, uh, and try to create platforms that were actually going to be uh, progressive uh, for thinking of new frames for contemporary art with very old kind of archetypal materials or subjects. And so, um, um, some absolutes, some basic absolutes that come back to the very core of, uh, of, you know, how man is put together. And so I have this kind of, uh, plan to do, uh, uh it's like a, a, lar- a long project of three exhibitions over time, uh, that are going to deal with these. Is these, the boogeyman in that? The boogeyman is part one and, uh, and that's absolute evil. Um, the boogeyman is, um, Is is one of the most generous stereotypes that we we uh, that remain in uh, in culture today and uh, generous in what way? Anybody can be the boogeyman. Gotcha. Yeah. the 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 great thing about the boogeyman is that I think you know in the 21st century he gets he gets optimized uh, with the aesthetics of paranoia and uh, and whatnot that we live in today. Uh, Suddenly everyone is the boogeyman. I could be the boogeyman. You could be the boogeyman. Uh, any Anyone you know we start to question everyone around us who might have an open carry or might be you know having a bomb in their backpack there's this there 's this paranoia that we 're all passively or actively but all engaged in uh, that 's uh about our fear of the other uh, ultimately i mean the boogeyman is the man in black uh, or the almost negro is the man in black or the black man, which also brings into the conversation the origins of racism i mean fear of the other the um so the having this show in Bucharest, it's hosted by, by a Nicodem Gallery in this amazing uh, palace. Uh, Bucharest is, uh, for me, it was this obvious play on stereotypes. You say it, Bucharest, Romania, people think Dracula. They think this dark, of this dark corner of Europe that they don't even know anything about, uh, that it's it, it weirdly form fits to a stereotype. It's mysterious of of my, mystery, scary, dark. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so I really like that it um, you know it has is going to create a, a lot of reflex interpretations of oh duh yeah show the boogeyman in Bucharest easy, um, and uh, and so the show, um, you know, coming back to participatory anthropology and this this whole way in which I'm trying to make. Uh, exhibitions that are dealing with folklore um, and folkloric structures. I mean, uh, th- so I'm getting into this idea of of uh, recursive uh, of recursive exhibition making, exhibitions that kind of become conditions uh, th- of their own design. You know, so it's like they start to replicate the philosophy. Uh, they are they visualize uh, and and create a, an actual experience of the philosophy that they they're feed themselves. Yeah, so it's like making a show not that the American Esoterica. Probably could have been a show about esoterica, but it was esoterica. That's the that's the difference there. I mean, you do. Uh, that's the problem generally with curating today is like this 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 objective anthropological method, is stilting uh, the way in which um, people see and interpret things. You 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 won't have the last place you're going to have an avant garde experience, I think, is in uh, art gallery, um, because you're so prepared to potentially have one, and probably for that reason not have one. And uh, and so the the way in which typical exhibition making works is that you have this like pseudo objective superior supreme distance from the subject object and uh and we're packaging it with this kind of control as viewer or curator where i'm interested in something really slippery something that you're going to fall into maybe and um, that looks like i could have fallen into it and uh and that's where participatory anthropology comes in it's the which is known for people like carlos castaneda the the anthropologist who, you know, went uh, came out the shaman and uh, and he kind of drank his own Kool Aid, you know. So there's there's something that happens potentially there in in trying to create cultural structures and cultural um, rituals uh, or of sorts that I think are, are is really fascinating. And evil is uh, is it's it's like you could debate whether any of us believe that uh, Duchamp's ready maids are valid or are art. Everyone believes in evil and uh right. like not a single person debates we can we've bureaucratized evil in 20, in our culture you know it goes from like a moral kind of relationship to god to an ethical relationship to man and society to like well some, it's politicized and and now like you know it, you you have like some dsmv specification for any act of evil um but we all know that it's evil, and we, we, regardless of how rational, rationalized, we want to make it. You know, so um, to make a show about that, to make a show about these impulses or about this dark energy, is really fascinating. I think it's on the money for where 21st century culture is, because you're, um, because it's so palpable.
0: So, how do you jump in? What are the next two exhibitions out of this set or the series? You have this is the first. The Boogeyman is the first. Yeah. Do you not want to talk about him? No. Okay. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about time frame. How long until you do the other two?
1: Uh, well, I'll do one next year and one the year after.
0: So one a year.
1: Yeah, yeah. And there, and then, and then there are trinity. You know, there, there's, they're going to be a book for each one, and there'll be these these archetypes. They are basically personifications of archetypes. Um, coming back to the way I rethought the, the role of the artist in the the American Esoterica show is like the shaman, the alchemist. These. There's going to be the Boogeyman and two others well, uh, that are
0: characters. Will the location of the actual exhibitions matter like it matters for yeah, the Boogeyman? Yeah, totally. Right?
1: Super, super contextually specific. And not like, you know, on Antarctica for the fun of it or something like that. Right, because it's, what's... Uh, you know, but I mean, I like the idea that no one will see the show in Bucharest. Um, I'm going to have total control over how it's mediated. Um, you know, you, you, you won't, you'll only see it the way I want you to see it. Um, which is, a, is, again, a part of this problematic issue of subjective anthropology, and and uh, I'm trying to weed out um, criticality.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you don't seem to have an issue with putting together exhibitions that challenge sort of a norm. The shows that you've been curating recently at the gallery as well, at Gagosian, have, have worked in much the same way, I think. they They, they serve a function, but they also sort of challenge the status quo of what can be put on for a show in a major gallery space like that. It's not, it's not the norm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I certainly try to bring in things that like, you know, you're, you're in, especially in, in Gagosian, you're, you're playing in, uh, you're, you're operating in a place that is this, this highest echelon of our business. And so when you introduce things to that environment, they, they they will you know take on take on take the aura test you know somehow, uh, but in the biggest way you know the, under the biggest microscope and uh, and I and I think that's fascinating as a as a not as a bluff but as a placebo effect and in, uh, in terms of how our cult and how we imbue cultural value and um, and so
0: well I mean you almost have polar opposites here you have the three shows that you're doing the boogeyman the start where that location is so specific to the actual curating of the show yeah. then you have the shows at Gagosian that still, for me, take on a value of being challenging and sort of exciting in a way that is much the same, but you're still showing it in the white cube.
1: Yeah, no, but, you know, and that's their, their, like, straight... Well, I mean, I do try to make them very demographically oriented, you know, clear and the other show I did was Theories on Forgetting. I mean, they're both shows that I think are born out of
0: Theories on Forgetting was last year.
1: Last year, yeah. Okay, yeah. And these are both out of the conditions of LA, you know. I mean
0: and those were both in LA. Yeah, and cultural
1: yeah. forgetting. I mean, this, you know, Hollywood is like the the face and the infrastructure of, of forgetfulness in culture. And uh and so, you know, this this made absolute sense to l- analyze this within the frame of contemporary art because I we grew up in this generation of people who were hypersensitive to references and who did it first, who did it better, which canon, whose canon, blah, blah, blah. You know, now it's like there's this way that people are operating today, which is like everything's new because it was made today. And it's like, it's, it's, uh, it's a bit mortifying. And yet I'm like, well, screw it. Let's roll with that and think about that as a, as a new frame for cultural production, you know, that I can um, mess with. Uh,
0: you were in, you've lived in a, a good number of spots. You were in London, you were in Berlin. You've been in, were you in New York? I did, yeah, I lived in New York. New too, York, so. L.A. So you've been in Utah, of course, not to mention probably a few other places. But how do you think that affects what you're curating or how you're sort of, I mean, for me, I think I see it in how you're sort of challenging the the venues and sort of the forums for where these shows are shown and how they're shown and who actually gets to see them and participate in in the actual exhibitions.
1: Well, you know, the the work I did in Utah um is probably, you know, while the work I did in Berlin was certainly how I got my start and where I got my focus and my approach, which I came to to Berlin from Milan where I was working as a I was an editor and a journalist working for Flash Art. How long uh, did you do that? Two years. Um, so I kind of my approach curatorial approach I think came directly from journalism, and then from from Berlin. You know, it became more about like trying to be like institutional kind of uh, you know uh, larger institutional voice in terms of how I'm casting my net and writing the story, um, and uh, and doing it for like a good of a public. Versus, anyways. But what Utah taught me was to like actually not. Uh, get bummed, not give that, a shit that no, that no one's seeing what you do. I mean, uh, no one was seeing the work I was doing, and, uh, and it yet takes I, a,
0: it takes a long time to be okay with that.
1: Yeah, and it actually was super liberating because it's like even locally, I don't feel like anyone really cared. Uh, there was like a good handful of people that cared, but you know, I knew that I was doing the best work in my life, and. And it was just going to get better and and it kept getting better. It's difficult
0: when you're sitting in like L.A. or New York and you're, well, as an artist, I know Mm, from mm. my viewpoint, it's until you get out of those sort of situations. And for me, it was getting out of New York, like this idea that I was in New York and I was doing these shows and I don't know who saw them because you don't necessarily get a book. Everybody isn't. Yeah, yeah. So you don't know what how far the reach is and what what is taking place there. And that's it's so stressful to begin with. And it took me coming to L.A. to realize, like, just back back the fuck off. Like, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. And in fact, you make better work and you probably curate better too because you have let go of those sort of, those needs.
1: Yeah, completely. Yeah, well, no, because it's like there's some, some you know, pseudo sense of validation that goes along with somebody seeing what you're doing. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, at what point that stopped mattering for me. But, you know, it just doesn't matter for me anymore. I, I could care, you know, less if uh, I, I have a show that's currently up and it's been up since 2012 that no one's ever seen before. It's in the it's in a ghost town in an undisclosed location in the middle of nowhere in Utah. And it's it came out of this condition of like, I don't think anybody sees the work. Do you out. talk about that show or not? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, uh, you know, but it's born out of uh, a, a lot of, like, these kind of questions, these existential do, questions. Do you know what,
0: though? But to be completely honest, one of the reasons you don't have an issue with the fact that nobody's seen that is because you keep being afforded opportunities to curate more stuff. If that dried up and you didn't have the opportunity to curate the shows and you had less of that going on, then you would probably be more concerned
1: sure definitely certainly I would I mean absolutely I don't want to like seem like I'm being like flippant or arrogant you're the, not no no no, to, no. and to, I don't to, mean that to, way to either, you but. know I mean for sure though I mean it's like the 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 art world is uh, uh you know uh, it's, it's 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 privilege in a number of dimensions and I'm enabled I'm highly enabled in the work that I'm doing I'm in a in a uh, in a in a moment of extreme enablement in my where I'm at in my career and, uh, and I'm not naive to the fact that I'm, I'm watching everyone around me like supernova within a six month period. And then the phone stops ringing. So it's like, but you're,
0: but even, even saying that you're mm-hmm. like taking that opportunity and using it in a way that is pushing sort of the boundaries of what you could be doing. And I think that's
1: no, and, and that's you're great. Exactly. And, uh, the, the, the thing though is it's, again, it's about, I'm, I'm coming back to this from an angle of folklore and trying to create stories, uh, you know, this this show that's in the middle of nowhere in Utah, it's there. It's whispering in the wind. It's actually where my head goes when I'm stressed. Really? It's like, I'm there. So I, does that
0: show come down ever or not? No, it's It's there. just going to be Exposed forever. the
1: elements until that place gets swallowed up by the earth, and it's, and it's there. I know it's there right now, um, and it's happening. Have you visited it? I I haven't in two years, but I have a friend that visits it, and uh, they send me pictures. Upkeep? no 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 it's getting eaten by animals and destroyed by the snow and uh but that was the nature of the work too it was a it was the it was a show about the end of the world do you uh, take images of it or not i have the first images they are the only things i allow people to see which looks like it might have been discovered on do you that.
0: take your own images of what the, what's happened at sh- sure yeah but i time? don't sh- i don't show, you don't show them
1: no no it's not important the important thing is uh that people have this frozen memory like i do um and so, uh, so the, the the way that people experience it is through a YouTube video or through my website. There's like uh, images, but the images suggest that this thing, this place, was just discovered in that moment. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't, even though it was made five minutes prior. You know, it was a it was a big production for a day, but like, and then once I cleared the house out, we took photos, video, all that shit. But it it gives this impression that uh, of of what I wanted that experience to be, which is this would be discovered by somebody fully out of context. And it would become the haunted house. It would become the this um, place full of energy um, because it, it's nothing else but clearly a place full of energy. And um, and so uh, yeah. And, and 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 then the thing with Bucharest, you know, people are going to come to see that. I have a big uh, anticipation that it's uh, it's going to have an audience that I'm I'm pretty scared of actually.
0: But it doesn't matter if they don't.
1: I don't care if they, but th- no. The th- here's the, here no. Uh, you know here's the thing though. The the thing about the Bucharest show is, uh, it's it's not gonna be nice. It's gonna be uh, raw. It's gonna be like a an, an adult's nightmare. Uh, Boogeyman is like this, this inf- inf- infantilizing of fear. Um, this is this is gonna be uh really nasty and uh and not representational of evil. It's gonna be evil yeah, no, and, I, and it's, it's uh, th- there'll be a book for it. The book is going to be gorgeous. I've interviewed Philip Zimbardo, who is Dr. Evil. He is the guy who did the Stanford Prison experiment and uh, is, is was doing his best work at a moment in time, just immediately following the milligram experiments when we're kind of like figuring out what like behavioral, social behavioral testing is in good and bad ways. You know, he really was taking advantage of the all the negative sides of it, which weren't, of course, evil. It was about understanding evil and uh but at the expense of you know some people's psyche and uh and so uh so he's really the guy that has the data and knows the origins of evil and the systematization of evil he's in the book i interviewed him i did gave a yeah he gave me an interview i'm super (laughs) jazzed it's a sick interview too i mean it just sums up everything his whole research is about but he like really connects it nicely to the the, uh, the 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 way i'm thinking about the show and um and uh and it's and it's uh it's it's good it's an important text um
0: When does the show come out?
1: June 18th. It's right at the end of Basel. So if you are in Basel, Switzerland and bored, uh, coming towards the end of the week, on Friday at 3.30, there's a flight leaving to Bucharest. I won't be waiting for you at the airport, but I will be at the Canto Casino Palace on Saturday for the
0: opening. I think maybe we leave it at that. Yeah. We're good. good. Thanks for coming. Oh, God, thank you. Yeah.